0: All right, welcome back to episode two of the Reaction Podcast. We've got some we've got some new information this week. We found out since we recorded the last one that uh, the re colon part, the uh, prefix, as we established, of the reaction portion actually stands for regarding. That's right. Mm. regarding yeah. action. So we've got a little more backstory to the podcast title, which is cool. Yeah. That's nice and uh,
1: That's good. big shout out to Johnny Mack for for helping us out there. Um, but you know, I think the, the the point the point of the podcast is is still the same. so episode two, we, we, we've got to continue to keep this in front of people. Um, the point of this podcast really is to give both families and students, right the, the tools to move out of a place of static into a place of, of action, to engage you know, the, the problems and the issues that need to be engaged to engage in conversation. Um, and like we said, you know, it's, it's that, you know, you, you, back in, you know, whatever it was, high school physics, when you learned the difference between potential and kinetic energy, right? Potential is when the ball sits at the top of the hill and kinetic is when it starts moving. That's what we want to do, like this regarding action, the Reaction Podcast is, is to, to equip us to become more action oriented in each other's lives, to jump into
0: each other's lives. Yeah, that's good. And we're in this series about faithfulness. Uh, we're talking all month about what it looks like to be faithful. We're looking at David's life and, and different parts of his story and how he was a, a, a man after God's own heart and he, he stayed faithful uh, through his whole life even though there was some crazy ups and downs and, and in turn God stayed faithful to him in the midst of that. So this week we're talking about David and Bathsheba. Mm. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, David uh, is, is kind of taking a stroll on the roof of his palace. He sees Bathsheba bathing on her roof and he says, I want that. So he invites her to the palace. Uh, they end up getting pregnant. He tries to make it look like uh, that it happened with with her husband by inviting him back from the war. Uh, That goes terribly wrong. He ends up getting her husband murdered and then tries to cover that up. And and we see uh, at the beginning of the story, David thinks he might just get away with it uh, because he's the king of Israel. He doesn't, he doesn't think there will necessarily be any consequences by the way that he acts. But it's interesting. I think throughout this whole series, as we talk about David, what's cool for our team is we're starting to see uh, a lot of these familiar David stories through a new lens, through a new frame. Yeah. Uh, and with this story, I think one of the things that surprised us as we started talking through it is maybe David uh, being on the roof wasn't so much of an accident, but maybe he uh, actually knew uh, uh, a little bit of what he was doing. So, uh, Cameron, can you kind of speak to maybe some of the intention that was wrapped around David's temptation in the story?
2: Yeah, so the story takes place in 2 Samuel 11. And, you know, again, we, we've we've come a long way from David and Goliath. David's he's an adult now, like he's grown up. Um, he is king. And in the first verse of, of chapter 11 of 2 Samuel, we read that, it's springtime, right? And this is the time of year when kings go off to battle. That's what, that's it's what fighting they, season. Yeah. Mm. It's fighting season. Right. And the Kings in the world go to battle in the spring. Um, but David doesn't do that. And it says right off the bat, David doesn't do that. He sends Joab, he sends the army, he sends the generals and all these people out, but he stays back home in Jerusalem and the subtext there. And you know, there's different commentaries. There's lots of resources that you can look to that kind of, uh, support this claim that David wasn't where he was supposed to be right um, this isn't this isn't him just trusting the battle to the capable hands of Joab his general and saying like oh I trust you dude no this was David intentionally not being where he was supposed to be he was poorly positioned in this moment and what he did in in, in staying home right and but and by the way right if if all the people right if all the men of Israel are out fighting David's battles for him who's left back in Jerusalem with him the women, the women, the yeah, women the right? Ladies. Uh, the, the, the ladies, right? all the, the single ladies, <laughs> the, all the, and not single ladies. Right. So all of them. And uh, what David was doing, right, was inviting temptation and sin into his life and, and making a lifestyle of obedience and faithfulness, what we've been talking about, making it harder than it needs to be. So, you know, him kind of stepping out from the couch uh, and walking out and seeing what he saw in Bathsheba, bathing on the roof and then acting on what he saw. Again, that's the mistake on paper. Like that's what we would would, would kind of look at and say, all right, there's David's first mistake. No, but really his first mistake was putting himself in position uh, to fail. And and I think David's sin started with him being in the wrong place at the wrong time on purpose. Mm. And and this is something that we, it's a common misconception. When we throw around words like mistake, David made a mistake objectively that's true, but sometimes when we hear the word mistake, we assume accident or we just associate that word with accidents or all this thing just kind of happened. How did this happen? Oops. Oh no. Like how did we get here? No, David knew what he was doing. Uh, He knew what he was doing. This, this was intentional. This was on, you know, this was on purpose. Mistakes uh, can both mean things that we do on purpose, but also accidents. So I think there's some practical things that we can take away from that uh, as believers individually. So there's some applications that we can own as individuals but also there's applications we can own as communities right and in family so
0: i think it's so interesting that we see throughout david's life a lot about rest and Mm -hmm. we learn a lot about how to rest in god from david and from the psalms in this case david is is resting but he's not resting well Uh, he's resting from marching into the battle and and it's not that he's running from something it's not that he's running towards sin right off the bat but it's just that he's choosing i'm not going to march into the battle this time uh, and I, and that's the beginning of his, his downfall, which is interesting. So Brad, yeah. how has families, yeah. um, how do we avoid putting ourselves on the roof? Uh, and how do we continue to march into battle together? Yeah,
1: I feel like, you know, um, as as parents specifically, so talking to moms and dads here right now, um, it can feel like we're constantly reacting to our students' actions. Like we are, uh, we're playing catch up, and, and and it's it's interesting because we're in a, we're in a world now that is predominantly digital, and um, and it's interesting that the kind of the, the phraseology that's used um, for 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 your students, you know, our teenagers currently, is we would call them digital natives. So they have grown up speaking a digital language and understanding a digital landscape. Myself, even though you know I'm almost forty, uh, I'm I'm in the category of being a digital immigrant, which means I have emigrated from an analog world like I remember when you know phones had cords and buttons you know I can remember when when my my mom got her first we called it the walking phone right because it had an antenna and she could walk around the house Uh, you couldn't go more than 20 feet without it cutting out but still um, we've emigrated into this digital landscape and this digital language and so it, it seems unfamiliar to us um and so it's, it's the difference between proactive and reactive. And so what we, we find ourselves most of the time being reacting to the ever-changing landscape of things that are in our students' lives. Uh, and so what happens for us most of the time or a lot of the time is we just throw our hands in the air. I've done this, right? I throw my hands in the air. I go, I don't understand that. I don't understand it. I don't understand how it works. And so I'm just I'm going to kind of wave the white flag and go, I don't get it. I'm not going to use it. It's not for me good luck, you know, uh, with whether it's social media, um, you know, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, uh, all these different things, they change all the time. Uh, And so we wave the white flag and we go, yeah, I don't understand it. I'm not going to use it. I'm not going to, you know, it's, I'm going to let them, they they get it. It's their thing. Um, That is a recipe. That mindset is a recipe for disaster, right? And so the the first application for for parents is you got to know what's going on in the lives of your students. All right, you have to know what's going on in their lives, and and, and to do that means you got to learn. Like you have to be willing to learn a new language, to learn a new landscape, um, to to figure out what are, what are the things that your students are into. What are the the things online specifically um, or the things through social media specifically or texting specifically that they're using to communicate with one another that i would say at this point if we look at like the story of david of bathsheba and david walking out on the rooftop i would say social media social networking texting that's the the modern day rooftop right that's the modern day rooftop and so we've got to get into that we've got to know what's going on and at the end of the day you know, parents, do you, do you want the excuse to be when something happens to your son or your daughter or when, you know, you get caught up in this moment of they're sending things back and forth that you know, like, what in the world? Do you want your excuse to be that you weren't paying attention? I just didn't know. You know, I say that the only one that can keep you from doing that is you. And so I would say, you know, the first application point is parents, get yourself pretty familiar with the rooftop of the world right now, the rooftop mm-hmm. of society. That's good. And then for students, you got to let your parents in, you know. I think students, for for you to sit with your mom and dad, uh, and show them how Instagram works. You know, remind them that, that you can't zoom in on pictures on Instagram. I feel like I have to tell my dad that all the time. Um, you know, remind like show them how this stuff works. Let them into your life, and the way that you do that is by showing them honor, right? And that goes back even to. The, the, the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, right? That the, the first commandment that comes with a promise, and, and coincidentally enough, the first commandment that's not directly about God, God's not even referencing himself, is honor your father and mother, right? And the promise is, so that you can live long in the land that I'm giving you. So so students, you've got to honor your parents. And, and, you, and you can't just move at a million miles an hour and, and go, well, they, they're just not going to be able to keep up. Bring them into this. And and ultimately, what that will do is that will that will set you up for success. And, and parents, what I would say success is for you is knowing the hearts of your students, not just assuming what's reality, right? Because what you can see on the surface might be just a symptom. The behavior that you're seeing on the surface might be a symptom of what's really going on deep, deep, deep in their hearts. And so you're gonna have to fight upstream against some of that stuff to figure out what's really going on. You know, student success, you know, it, it's, it's learning to, to love what's right instead of dancing on the edge all the time. You know, students, we've got to learn to love what's right. We've got to learn to, to, to wrap our arms around righteousness instead of asking the question of, you know, the question we get asked, the classic youth ministry question is, how far is too far? that's the wrong question. You know, we're we're basically saying, at what point can I get far enough away from, you know, the righteousness of God, which righteousness is a fancy word of saying right living. How far away can I get away from the right way to live before it gets really bad? Um, And so students, success for you is, you gotta learn to love what's right
0: instead of dancing on the edge all the time. Yeah, you don't wanna just hang out on the roof because it's normal and think, "Uh, well, as long as it's just my eyes, as long as it's just me on the roof and no one else. I can't possibly hurt anyone, uh, maybe is what David thought the first, you know, 20 times, the first 40 times he hung out on the roof, and then all of a sudden his sin that's internal becomes external yeah. and has consequences for yep, other people. For sure. I love the image of, of thinking about the digital landscape like the roof, because it's almost like as a parent, if you're oblivious to that world, you're hanging out with your student in the palace. And then when the afternoon rolls around, you're like, okay, head up to the roof. I'll see ya. you. Yeah. Know, go, go, go for your iPad time, for your iPhone time. Like, well, I'll see you tomorrow morning. Uh, back, Which is where the danger is. Back right? inside <laughs> the palace. Yeah. yeah. And, and and you're releasing them uh, to that afternoon full of temptation that that seems really really normal uh, yeah. because of our rhythms. You know, you do it too, probably as a parent. You probably spend time on your phone as well. Um, but it's it's good to be tuned into that that risk. So as, as David steps out of his sin, uh, we don't necessarily see an immediate response, an immediate panic. Um, David seems, seems kind of comfortable with what he's done. He tries to cover it up. Um, Ultimately, things start to to level out. We don't know what his heart was in this, um, but we know from from his behavior uh, that he was going to just kind of try to keep rolling with it, it seems. And then Nathan, who's a prophet, comes and confronts David. He tells him an allegory, a story that kind of illustrates uh, someone who sinned similar to the way that David did. And all of a sudden, David's eyes are opened and he kind of goes, huh, I see what I've done wrong. Uh, I'm really mad at this person in the story that you've just described. And now I see that the person in that story is me. I realize I've messed up. I realize that this is a lot deeper yeah. than maybe I thought it was. Um, but prophet's a it's a it's a term that gets thrown around that that yeah. often we associate with like maybe being a mystic or a, a, a fortune, fortune teller. teller yeah. So, Cameron, what what does it really mean that Nathan was a prophet in this story?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions about what role a prophet plays in Scripture. Um, and ultimately, like you said, people think, oh, this is just the person who tells the future and the people who tell us that Jesus is coming. No, at the end of the day, what a prophet is, is someone who knows what's on God's heart, right? Like knows the heart and will and mind uh, and desires of God and makes that known to people. Mm-hmm. It's like as simple as that. And I think people, uh, when we say, oh, that's a prophetic word or, oh, uh, you know, you're you're kind of like playing the role of a prophet. That's what we're talking about. It's 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 probably way more common and basic than we we would like to admit. And in this, in this instance, right. And it starts with second Samuel 12, right. Moving right through 11 into uh, chapter 12, verse one, it says the Lord sent Nathan to David. And I think there's something to that. I think we want, we want to just put this and give this over to God. And that's, that sounds good, right? Like that's something we say in church, just give it over to God and let him work, you know, kind of work through this with David and have David and God work this out. God is fully capable of communicating to David what, what Nathan communicates to David, right, in that moment. Uh, we know that David had a good working line of communication with God, that he's, he heard from him, they, they, he wrote Psalms, right, we, we get that. But for whatever reason, God chooses to use a person, right? He chooses to use uh, Nathan as a vessel in this moment, and I think there's something to that. I think that we, uh, we want... Uh, our students to just kind of on their own in their room have this moment with God that we don't facilitate or we don't step into, uh, and just boom, like, lightning's gonna strike, and my students gonna understand the gravity of what they're doing, right? Yeah. God wants to partner with you to do that. So, um, a cool thing about this, or an interesting thing maybe about this situation, is like you said, David, so he does know right from wrong, he realizes what he did was wrong because. He is trying to cover it up, right? So that lets you know that he, he doesn't stand by his actions, right? He knows that they were wrong or else he wouldn't cover it up. He would stand by it. What's interesting is Nathan's conversation with him opens his eyes emotionally to start to reckon with what he's done right he, now he feels differently about his actions than he did before before he wasn't justifying it but he was trying to cover it up and now he's he's willing to face god on what he's done because someone who understands the heart and mind of god was able to simply communicate that to him in a conversation as a friend and i, th- I think what what he it, there's a lot of that was at stake and and here's the thing i know that and brad's gonna hit on this in a second i know that There's this fear that we have about having these kinds of conversations with Mm -hmm, people. mm -hmm. And I don't think we like Nathans generally in life, but uh, but everyone needs a Nathan. And there's times where you need to step up and be a Nathan uh, to someone. But here's the thing. He could have suffered repercussions for this, right? He could have been killed for having a conversation like this with the king, Uh, but he steps up to the plate and he does it. Um, And God uses community to confront sin and heal wounds. And for whatever reason, and I love the fact that, that God is like this. He chose, he chose to use someone like Nathan to help David heal. That was the starting
0: place. Yeah. Yeah. God uses people, uh, even when he doesn't have to, I, I think the key word confrontation is like the key word there, because there's a big difference between, uh, confrontation and facilitation. Like mm-hmm. you can facilitate mm-hmm. your students' faith by dropping them off at church every Sunday, yeah. but that's step one, uh, to really lead somebody to God is to sometimes confront them, sometimes take the next step. And it's empowering to to read this story with that frame of, of who is this prophet because when we read God sent Nathan, it's easy to think God sent this biblical character to another biblical character. And of course, David received Nathan and what he said because he's in the Bible uh, and God sent him and that must have looked very supernatural. But really, no, it it meant that this man who was equipped with the Spirit of God, which we're equipped with, and the Word of God, which we're equipped with, stepped up to his friend, stepped up to somebody he knew and confronted him, uh, which is really cool when you see it that way. It almost empowers you to take that next step. You too can be Nathan and you too can be sent by God uh, as as crazy as that sounds, it's pretty simple when you start to break it down. So, Brad, how yeah. do how do we become Nathan? Yeah. Uh, in our in our family story. Well, I think
1: the I think the other thing too is that that typically what we do is we we attach or uh, we glue together confrontation and conflict. Yeah, and it doesn't always have to be that way. Now, will it be that way some of the time? Sure. Can we anticipate that some of the time? Sure. But confrontation and conflict are, are two completely different things. And so, you know, like, like Cam said, Nathan took a risk. It took a risk stepping into the palace of the king and saying, look, dude, this is what you've done, you know. And, 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 and he even says in those words, like, you know, as Nathan is burning, you know, he tells the story and Nathan is angry against, you know, angry at the man in the story. And and Nathan says, well, that man is you. And at that point in time, you know, David has kind of silenced everybody else in the story. Like he took Uriah out of the conflict. He's he's covered up most of his tracks for the most part. Yeah, it could have been really easily to go, OK, now you know about this. I'm going to shut your mouth, too, permanently. I'm going to bury another body in the backyard. Um, and so there's a risk there. Um And I think for parents, I think for families, you know, oftentimes that risk of conflict, the risk of inviting tension into our home um, at some at some point becomes greater than the risk of what if we don't say anything at all. And so I really want to draw that. I want to I want to bring that to our attention. You know, you do. There is a risk. There is a risk in confronting your your son or your daughter based on you know something you know that's going on in their lives. And parents, you know, we have this like spidey sense, right? Um, that that just says something's not right. Something's not right with my son or my daughter. So instead of just letting them pass me and go up the stairs or give me the one word answer. How was your day? Fine. No, I'm, I'm going to confront what's really going on. And yes, I will tell you, there is a pretty good chance you're going to invite some conflict and invite some tension into your home, probably for a few days. Uh, but but what's, what's the greater risk? Is the greater risk inviting some conflict and inviting some tension into your home for the sake of getting the truth on the table? Or is it a greater risk to just not say anything at all? And I would say that's the greater risk. Um, and so, like like we said, God chooses people to redirect the lives of other people. And the role of a prophet is to take what's on God's heart and make it known. So parents, we can take on that role of a prophet and say, look, I know what's on God's heart. I know what God says about a right way to live and in, in, in a way that's outside of that right way to live. And this, this is not right. Yeah. And, and typically prophets disrupt life. And so parents, I just want to encourage you to say, look, if we're disrupting life for the sake of getting someone back on the rails of righteousness, which is what David ultimately does, you know, then, then that's an okay thing. And it's okay to invite a little bit of tension. It's okay to invite a little bit of conflict into that because that may be the pathway through.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, and confrontation doesn't always have to mean conflict. Yeah, Like Nathan doesn't march in with a baseball bat to beat David over the head. If he had, he might have had that reaction of, I'm just going to shut down. I'm just going to push you out. I'm just going to make you go away. Nathan marched in with the heart of God. Yeah, yeah, which is cool. Uh, it, it's the way that he framed that confrontation that allowed David to see the error in his own life. So he was able to intervene, but then we see as the story continues and in Psalm 51 that it was God who ultimately could change David's heart. Nathan yeah. Nathan could set things in motion. Nathan could kind of get the ball rolling, but it's God that has to step in. And start the the transformation process, and and start a change that's going to last past just this episode.
2: Yeah, and there's you know when we say you've got to know your role, like there's two ways of looking at that. And one's like your role's more significant than you probably think right now, but. The other, the other half of that statement, like know your role, is that it's not, it's not actually on you to change your student's heart, right? That's, that's not your role. Uh, this is your role, and, and we say all the time around here, we want to get um, people in Jesus in the same room and let them work stuff out. Nathan knew his role in the situation is let me get David and God in the same room and let them, let them kick stuff around and work stuff out, and that's what we get to read in Psalm fifty-one. You know, it, it, I said on Sunday, every Psalm isn't just something that. David wrote or someone wrote arbitrarily or, you know, just kind of pulled out of nowhere and thought this might be nice to say. No, they're always tied to something that actually happened. And it says at the beginning of Psalm 51, written in response to Nathan's confrontation of David. it's like, OK, well, so let's see the true, honest, raw response that David had to this, not conflict, but confrontation that Nathan uh, kind of sets at his feet. And, and his response is after after being, you know, profusely apologetic for what he's done. And he recognizes like I finally see the the weight and like feel the weight of what I've done and I'm sorry about that. But his request, so interesting. And I think what we ask for in prayer, we just we, we need to, we need to rethink it, we need to take another look at it. What he asks for in this prayer is for a new heart. He says, Create in me a clean heart, renew a steadfast spirit within me. And then I'll go teach transgressors your ways. And then I'll show sinners who you are, right? Like he even makes promises that, God, if, if you're willing to give me a new heart, here's what, here's how I'm going to be faithful and committed to you. It's this beautiful, it's, it's probably my favorite psalm, right? This beautiful psalm of someone who's messed up so horribly. Uh, and all he knows to do in that moment is to ask God for a new heart. And Nathan couldn't give him that new heart. Like you said, Nathan can't clean his heart, can't take it, can't do anything with it. All he can do is get... David and Jesus and or David and God in the same room and let him work stuff out and something we said on Sunday is it's really hard to perform heart surgery in the dark right best heart surgeon on planet earth if he if he was in a pitch black room with you he'd hurt you right he'd mess it up we've got to bring these things into the light and let God operate on our hearts so something that's that's cool about that is is recognizing like here's what my role is here's what it's not I'm not my kid's holy spirit and that's okay Uh, you don't need to be Uh, the pressure's off you in that regard. Only God can do this work in your student's heart and in your life. And, and same goes for you too, right? Uh, this is a prayer that, that we need to be praying as God renews us. But here's the other cool thing about this is that God doesn't have like this prayer answering budget allotted to you. And sometimes we want to view prayer as this thing where uh, it's either like this grocery list or the shopping list. And we're walking through the grocery with God and it's like, oh, do we have, is this in the budget? Is this in the budget? This? And it's like, no, I'm sorry, we can't afford that. No, like that, that doesn't exist when it comes to prayer, but there's certain things And I don't like saying always or never when it comes to things like prayer. But I think we know that God wants to give you a new heart. That's something that's on his heart. Again, the role of a prophet is knowing the mind and the heart of God and communicating that. Here's something that God wants and something that he's passionate about. Creating clean hearts in his people. Renewing a love for him. Giving more and offering more of himself. That's a prayer that like, when you ask for that... That's something he wants to meet you faithfully in because he's faithful. He's committed to you. But we don't ask for that most times. Most times our first instinct when everything blows up and when stuff hits the fan is, God, make this go away. That's not David's prayer in Psalm 51. He's not like, make the consequences of this go away. Clean up this mess. Can you pick up these pieces? No, it's the root of the problem is beating in my chest. Mm. Let's start there. Can you create me a clean heart? And that's something that God's like, man, I'm, I'm waiting for you to ask that. Um, I'm, you know, you made your bed, you're gonna have to lie in it, but let's let's give you a new heart. So I think that's a huge piece of things that we miss uh in prayer. I think our instinct when stuff hits the fan is God, make this go away, make me feel better, be with give me a new heart. David recognizes that yeah. in the darkest moment of his life.
0: Yeah, and he still has to deal with consequences. You yeah. know, God says this this baby, this child who's a result of this adultery, he's gonna die and there's no getting around that. Yeah. Um, but David still worships, he still asks for the new heart. I think it's key there that you your burden is not to change your student. Your burden is to lead your student. Mm-hmm. There's a big difference between changing and leading, uh, and so that first step is just it's leading them to God. So as we, as we wrap up, how do you how do you be an advocate yep. for your student to get a, a new heart? How do you advocate yeah. for that clean heart? Uh, and then what are any kind of final takeaways of of just this whole story uh, mm-hmm. of of David's journey? in realizing sure, yeah.
1: what he needs. Yeah, when I, we, we said it last week too, I mean, and I, I, we can't say it enough that, you know, if we've got to begin to to shift the way we pray for, for one another, right? And, and Cam just mentioned that too, of like, you know, it's not that we're praying for the, the, the situation or the circumstance to change, but I'm praying for the heart of the person in the situation and circumstance to yeah, change. And so difference. it's a huge difference. And and I think too, parents and students to, to know this is like, you know, I don't want to oversimplify it, but God typically answers prayers in one of three ways. Yes, no, or not yet. And, and when we talk about praying for the hearts of people, that is something I believe moves the heart of God to action. And it's not because we're moving the heart of God to action, it's because the heart of God wants to move uh, when it comes to the hearts of his people. Um, and we see evidence of that in, you know, in the Gospels when Jesus sees the friends lower the dude through the, the roof who's paralyzed, he, see, he sees their faith And their faith moves him to action. And so I think for for parents, you know, to to advocate for your students, it is, it begins with prayer. It begins and ends with prayer. Um, But I think going beyond that, you know, just to kind of recap where we've been, you know, parents, you got to know what's going on in life your student. You got to take risks, you got to press in. Um, students on the other side of that coin, you got to let them. You got to let your parents press in. Uh, you got to let them into your world. And and imagine it like this. Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't there be far less damage if you just opened the door for your parents instead of forcing them to kick the door down, right, into your life? Just open the door for your parents. Engage them in conversation instead of just running up to your room going, "I'm fine." Um, engage them in conversation. Let them into your world, what you're feeling. Uh Practically speaking, moms and dads um, and students are gonna hate this and I'm sorry, uh, but I'm not sorry at the same time. You gotta switch the charging location for all of your kids' devices. Um, If your kids' devices are charging in their bedroom at night, they need to be charging in the kitchen. They need to be charging in a common place. If if your son or your daughter's got a laptop or a desktop or a video game console behind closed doors that you can't get to, that needs to change because again going back to the rooftop deal we're just leaving the door to the rooftop wide open when we do that and so i would just advocate for that and then students again just to kind of wrap up you know for you guys it's honoring your parents and and again your parents may come to you and go hey we're we're taking all your we're taking your laptop and we're going to charge it we're going to charge your ipad in the kitchen we're going to charge our phones in the kitchen all of us we're all going to Charge our phones in the kitchen, you know, and, and you, you're going to hate that. And, and here's the thing. Honoring your parents doesn't necessarily mean you have to like them. Honoring your parents doesn't necessarily mean you have to like what you're, what they're doing, but you got to honor it, right? You have to honor it. And again, that comes with a promise. And I think the promise sounds m- like in a, in a modern translation it sounds like this. Life will be a little bit easier if you honor your parents. Uh, yeah. And so I think th- those things are the things that we can do as families, students, and parents uh, to really advocate for one another and press into some of this stuff.
0: Yeah, it's good. It's a it's a balance between keeping your kid off the roof and advocating for a new heart. It's both, yep. right? Barriers are good, safeguards are good, yep. but there's a lot of staircases up to the roof. And so in in pairing with those barriers and in pairing with that process of, oh, I need to clean up the mess that maybe they're already in, you've got to advocate for that for that new heart as good. And I think what we learned from Nathan um, in this is again, it's just it's about hearing God's voice. It's about knowing God's word. It's about being empowered by God's spirit. And those are the things that are going to empower you to walk into that room. Those are the things that are going to empower you to put intention and to put trust behind Mm -hmm. taking the phone, taking the video game. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it it may be a long journey. But if you go in and do that from a a place of this is a rule or from a place of this is just a a hard limit that I'm setting, you know, that's only going to go so far. Your kids are smart. And your kids spend a lot of hours of the day away from you, and they're going to figure out how to get around that unless in pair with that you are also advocating for a new heart. But that starts with becoming a prophet, right? It starts with knowing the voice, the will, the heart, the character of God uh, so that you can, again, lead your students. So you're not changing, you're leading, and you're marching into that battle together so that ultimately none of you are left at home, none of you are left to your own vices, none of you are left on that roof in the face of temptation but you're all marching into battle together as a family towards what God has called you uh, to do so that you're protecting your kingdom, That's your right. kingdom. That is the household. That's, right. That's, That's right. really good. Right, one, one more thing to add before we wrap
1: up. And, and that is this, and it just hit me as we're as Mike, as I was listening to you unpack that, um, parents, you may look at your, your at your students regardless of what they're going through and you may go, I, I think, I think my student might be a lost cause. Right. Um, and, and there are some you look at that, I'm not sure how this person's life's going to get back on track. Here's what I would say to you. Um, if no one's a lost cause to God, then they're not a lost cause. Right. Then there's always a chance. And so to that parent right now who is watching their child struggle with an addiction or struggle with depression or struggle with anxiety or struggle with whatever it may be. I just want to I want I want to tell you, you're never out of the fight because that that student is not beyond redemption. Uh, and that, and we ourselves are not so broken that God can't fix us. Um, and so I just felt like I needed to encourage some, some parents now with that to say, if that person's not lost completely to God, then th- then they're not lost to you. So keep fighting.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's 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 really good. I think as we pray for our students' hearts, it's good to know that we're not trying to pray for God to fall in love with our student because He's already in love with them. That's right. Uh, and and let's let's take a look back at the story of David. At this point, he's an adulterer, he's a murderer, he's lazy. He's not where he's supposed to be in this story, and yet God is so in love with him uh, that that as we step into next week, as we finish out uh, the story of David, we see that God continues to pursue him and God continues to redeem, even though he has to suffer the consequences. And that the darkness of this story doesn't necessarily leave David's life completely. He gets that new heart, and he's continue. Uh, continuing to to be blessed by God, um, His legacy continues all the way through Solomon, through the building of the temple, mm-hmm. through the lineage of Jesus. And even though all of these dark moments that seem like all hope is lost in David's story, uh, ultimately we know David for who he is. We know David as an ancestor of Jesus. Yeah, and uh, leads to Jesus. Yeah, because uh, that's a good thing. Because yeah. uh, because God was willing to redeem that story. Because God always loved David, uh, no matter what he did. Great. Well, we're looking forward to next week. It'll be it'll be cool to take a look at that that praise uh, that comes out of this uh, as as David continues to kind of write uh, psalms and, and praises to God uh, from from that new heart that he gets in this story. So, I'll talk to you all next week. All right. Go cats. Go cats.